Grant Podcast Network's instant recap episode for the Saturday, September 9th, 2023 Ohio State Youngstown game. The Buckeyes won 35 to 7. And we're going to go through every painful part of that entire game. My name is Matt Timonini, and I am joined by Justin Golba. Justin, what is your one word emotional response to this game? Oh, one word. Uh, McCord. Okay, not really emotional, but okay, I'll take it. But I understand where you're coming from there. I missed missed the emotional part there. Uh, Emotional, I'll say uh, indifferent. Uh, Is that even emotional? I'm not sure what emotions are. Yeah, I think that's, I know, after watching that game, I feel the same way. I, I, you know, I'm not going to hold myself to my own one word standard, but I will say that that is probably the most demoralizing victory that I can remember in recent Ohio State history. Yes, Ohio State won 35 to 7. Yes, they were able to do some things, especially on offense. That was that was pretty exciting. But man, when you're playing an FCS team and you only score a single touchdown in the second half, despite playing your starters on offense for the majority of the time, yes, Devin Brown got in as the backup quarterback, but Marvin Harrison Jr. was out running routes on, on the final offensive possession of that entire game. And yet they only got a single third quarter touchdown in the second half. That is not just in what a Big Ten championship level team should do. That is not what a national championship level team should do. At this point, it feels like the Ohio State program is moving backwards. And I don't know how to wrap our heads around that because Ohio State fans have been so spoiled for the past two decades, ever since Jim Tressel, and obviously a little bit ironic uh, with Ohio State playing Youngstown State today, ever since Jim Tressel stepped on campus, they have essentially been the best team in the Big Ten, one of the best teams in the country, and it feels right now like their grip on that gold ring is slipping away. Yeah, I, th- I think there's a lot of um, things you might be able to take away from this. I do think that at the end of the day, winning 35-7 to and being demoralized is a good thing. And I don't disagree that like watching this game, it's hard to imagine this team competing for much of anything. Um excuse me i do find it also interesting they've played youngstown state twice they've won 38 to 6 and 43 nothing so it's weird that like in the 38 to 6 was the year they went to the national championship in 2007 so it is like a weird thing apparently they just can't really bury youngstown state i don't know if that i'm not taking anything from that it's just i thought that was just an interesting stat um yeah my, my one word takeaway of being mccord was just the fact that I do think, thankfully, the quarterback battle's over, and I'm sure we'll talk about that. But, um, you know, I I think it was, you know, the first drive, I do think Mitch Davidson made a really nice pass, and that kind of – that just kind of um, energized them a little bit, and that was my takeaway from that drive. The defense, all in all, they didn't look great, but at the end of the day, you know, Youngstown State only got into the end zone one time, so that's a good thing. Um, And the offense just – like I couldn't, I couldn't believe it when I looked at the box score and Trayvon Henderson had five carries. I feel like he had like ten to twelve. It was just a weird game of maybe I just wasn't paying enough attention. I don't know. It was just, it felt like they should have scored more than thirty five, and they definitely should have. But it felt like they played even maybe played better than thirty five, and they just didn't for whatever reason, whether it's play calling, whether it's you know whatever the case may be, they just didn't get the ball in the end zone as much as they normally do. Obviously, started off as well as it could, but yeah, I. I... I think that there was at least a couple touchdowns that were called back. I remember 
there was a rush earlier in the, fa- the the game, and I think they might have ended up scoring anyway. But then t- towards the end of the game, there was another one uh, on a chip train on hold that got Mayan into the end zone. So they, it did feel like they were getting into the end zone more than perhaps the score allows. But let's dive in to some of these stats. You mentioned the Kyle McCord-Devin Brown quarterback competition. Kyle McCord finished the game 14 of 20 for 258 yards and three touchdown passes. He had a 70% completion percentage and a quarterback rating of 227.9. That is very good. Devin Brown, however, was 7 for 13 for one, one seven for 13 for 101 yards, no touchdowns, no interceptions. That's a 54% completion percentage and a 119.1 quarterback rating. Justin, I understand why people we're excited about the idea of Devin Brown. He is presumably the more athletic of the two quarterbacks, although I don't actually think he's that much more athletic. Um, but yeah, he's also he's also the backup. So like he was the presumed backup going into the season. So people are always excited about the backup quarterbacks. But it's not close based off what we have seen through two games. Like Kyle McCord is inarguably the best quarterback in this quarterback room out of those two who knows with Tristan Jebbio or, or Lincoln Keenholz at this point because they're not really getting opportunities but like there is no more competition between these two quarterbacks as far as anybody with eyes can see and maybe Ryan Day wanted to play it out through the Youngstown State game just to give Devin the opportunity to show himself and if that was the case the competition should be over. The experiment of Devin Brown getting snaps with the first team should be over. Kyle McCord has to be your starter and Devin Brown is your backup because you have one week to get this offense ready to play against Notre Dame. And if you are giving away the starter's snaps to somebody who honestly has airmailed half of the throws that he's made as a collegiate quarterback, then you are doing your offense and your team a disservice by not letting Kyle McCord take every meaningful snap between now and September 23rd. Yeah, it's funny because I saw people kind of, and I don't disagree with this statement, when they're talking about McCord and Brown, they keep going, how is this quarterback competition even close? You know, Devin Brown just doesn't quite look ready, while Kyle McCord does, if we're being honest. And the only thing that actually says that it was close is Ryan Day continuously saying we're going to get Devin Brown snaps. What's actually happening on the field, Kyle McCord is getting every significant snap there is. So that implies it wasn't close. McCord is the starter. It's just they're still trying to see what they have in Devin Brown. I wouldn't be surprised, and I think Jake Butt mentioned this, if they, especially with the way they're using Devin Brown, they're calling all these draw plays for him. He's running the ball a lot more than I've really ever seen outside of like Braxton Miller run the ball. And as you said, he doesn't look that much more athletic, but I mean, he looks a little faster. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if maybe they try to do some kind of Red zone package with him. I don't love that idea, but I wouldn't be surprised if I see it. Yeah, that's a terrible idea. I agree, but it just looks like with how they're setting him up, it looks like that might be an an idea in their head. Hopefully, kind of today killed any of those ideas because I I think somebody said in our Slack best, you have bigger fish to fire with this team. Kyle McCord's a quarterback. He he we we see it now. He can find Marvin Harrison. The jokes can end. You know he knows where he is on the field. All this stuff. So we're all good there. He's your quarterback. Move on and let's figure out the trenches because that's the problem on this team. Yeah, we'll get to that. But you mentioned Marvin Harrison Jr. He did end up finally having a a game where a quarterback noticed that he was on the field. He had seven receptions for 160 yards and two touchdowns, including a 71-yard touchdown uh, reception. 
Not a ton in the second half. Most of his catches came in the first half, which is fine. Like, uh, if, if Marvin Harrison goes for, I think he had something in the range of 125 yards in the first half, I would have been completely fine if he didn't come out for the second half in uniform. If he would have just been in street clothes, I would have been completely happy with that. He is your best player. There is no need to play him in the second half of this game, even though, like I said, the offense was was not good in the second half. They were up 28 to seven at halftime. I would have been pretty comfortable just letting Marv sit the rest there. Uh, Emeka Ibuka also had a pretty decent day, five receptions for 194 yards and a touchdown. Um, again, those were the only two guys that really got much of anything. Julian Fleming had three catches for 25 yards. They had, uh, interestingly enough, multiple throws to running backs. Travion Henderson had two. Mayan Williams had one. Xavier Johnson got one coming out of the backfield. Um, it's Cade Stover, no, no targets, no receptions at all. Carnell Tate and G. Scott Jr. both ended up getting a catch as well. So not exactly like a huge offensive output, but at least we were able to see that McCord is able to make connections with his number number one and number two wide receivers. Will he be able to do that against a defense that is even approaching the same level as that offensive skill level? I don't know, but I would certainly prefer to take my chances with Kyle McCord throwing the ball to Marvin Harrison Jr. and Emeka Egbuka than Devin Brown at this point. Yeah, and I'm only half kidding when I say if they would have sat him after the first touchdown, I probably would have been okay with it. I mean, no, I just, I'm, I'm with you. I'm not taking any chances with Marvin Harrison. He's just, I mean, he would have had a third touchdown if he wasn't tackled in the end zone. And I love the ref not calling. It's kind of funny not throwing a flag there of the ref just like, just ignore, I mean, he just ignored it. He's just like, well, he's that much better. It's, I think, I think you might have tweeted like, that's just like an F- FCS, like, you know what? Just, yeah, yeah whatever. It's a, just it was a pity it. no call. Yeah, I mean, it's and Marvin Harrison's kind of, and I remember, I think his dad even said the only thing he wants him to do more is like complain to the ref, which is funny too. Um, yeah, I, I was a little surprised with the no targets for Cade Stover. I, I don't know if that's just, you know, yeah. I don't know if that was intentional. I don't know if that was just how the game unfolded. I don't know if it's just because Marvin Harrison Jr. was open every play, but that seems to be the main reason they have him out there is, as obviously as a receiving tight end. And, you know, I think a big criticism of Ryan Day is sometimes in key situations, they turn to Cade Stover over those top two receivers. So, um, Igbuka looked great. I mean, he, he always does. Harrison obviously was open every single play. And it's just, it's, you know, McCord is a lot of these throws are to wide open receivers, but you still have to make the throws to the wide open receivers. That's yeah. step one. Cause Devin and Brown he, didn't do that. Exactly. Devin Brown missed a couple open guys. So, um, you know, he still, even, even like it can, both things can be true. That first touchdown. Yes. Marvin Harrison was wide open. Yes. It was still a perfect throw. So, you know, that was things that it was a confident throw. He stepped into it. Th- those are things I like to see. McCord just looked more confident than Devin Brown too. And, um, yeah, I mean, there's definitely no concern with the receivers. That's that's that, that that can be dispelled. If there was any last week, I obviously I didn't take away from that. I was just I, that was a throwaway game to me. But some people might have. So we'll see. The, the concern was getting the ball to the receivers. Right. It wasn't the receivers yeah. themselves. It was getting the ball to them. The the biggest concern for me for this offense is the offensive line. They looked fine in pass protection, not necessarily. Great because there were some times when both running backs were kind of running for their lives. Although I do think Devin Brown looked to run far too quickly, um, and and Kyle McCord was a little bit more patient in the, in the pocket. But it's the run game where the offensive line, especially on the left side, looks suspect at best. We knew yeah. coming into the season that Josh Simmons 
was going to be taking on a huge responsibility. He was an average right tackle at San Diego State last year in the Mountain West. He was elevated uh, to a starter on the left side for Ohio State. And he just doesn't look like he's at the same level as the rest of this offensive line. Not that the rest of the offensive line has been great by any means, but he is noticeable on that side of the line, not just because he had that uh, hands-to-the-face penalty that wiped out a either a huge gain or a touchdown. Might have wiped out a touchdown. I can't remember. Touchdown. Yeah. yeah. Um, so I don't, I don't know what the answer is there. I mean, you've got two young guys in Luke Montgomery and Tegra Teshabola who could potentially play left tackle. But I have to wonder, like, they, they talk so much about the fact that offensive line play is something that you have to, like, get experience in to feel comfortable. And the offensive line has to gel together. Like, is replacing the left tackle two games before or the game before Notre Dame, like, is that more counterproductive because you're throwing in a guy who hasn't had the reps with the rest of the unit? Like, I don't know. Like, I don't know that there's an answer, but that ain't it when you're going to go up against guys um on the lines like Notre Dame has, like Wisconsin has, like Penn State has, like Michigan has. Like, you can't have such a gaping hole on the quarterback's blind side, and it, it looks pretty terrifying at this point. Yeah, and I think the problem is, you know, these are the games you need to get the reps for, like, a Luke Montgomery to see kind of what you have. You don't want to be in a situation where halfway through the game against Notre Dame, you're like, oh, you know, <laughs> Kyle McCourt's spending more time on his ass than, than throwing the ball. Like, you can't. Yeah. So you need to figure out, you need to have these lineups set and these rotations set when it comes to those big games. And they only have one more game and before Notre Dame. So, you know, that game is officially lurking. And yeah, I, there's just no faith in Josh. I mean, I think it was the second drive of the game where they had they had a third and two and, you know, they ran the ball to the boundary, as as we all know they love to do. And I mean, it was like, they, I don't think a single guy com- completed a block and it was I mean Trayvon Henderson just got swallowed up and I was like this this is these are problems like you can't be getting out physical by Youngstown State because then Penn State and Michigan are going to make you look insane so that's where it's that's where the problems lie and I yeah I you know I know I heard good things for Josh Simmons out of camp I know he had a like a, a pretty a, a huge amount of uh holdings last year at San Diego State right that was like yeah, the false starts with yeah it, it, false, it, it, false starts. starts yeah Hasn't had that yet. Yeah, yeah, I know there was one penalty number that was high. I couldn't remember what it was. But, yeah, I just – and, look, at the end of the day, the jump from San Diego State to Ohio State is huge. So, as you said, he was a – he wasn't like he was dominating at San Diego State. He was good to average, you know. So, I yeah, the offense line is an issue right now. I know Carson Hinsman had the first hold. Um, it was just – it was weird plays like that where you just – those can't happen in the big games. Um and, you know, and, and to be fair, Notre Dame hasn't looked like the juggernaut I think people are making them out to be. They put up 35 against an FCS school, too. So I don't know that this is necessarily a killer right now, but I'm much more worried for, like, the, yeah, the Penn States and the Michigans of the world. It's just like, it's pretty clear that Ohio State isn't where Ohio State has been in recent years. And it looks like Notre Dame with a Sam Hartman at quarterback is taking a step forward, even if they aren't perfect yet either. While we're recording, it is halftime there leading 17 to 7 over NC State. Um, But so I think that just like the specter of a competent team on the other side of this Ohio State squad 
is is a little terrifying for folks. You know, another thing that you look at the uh, Ryan Day continually hit this week in his press conferences and his press conferences after the game on Tuesday and then in his radio show about needing to get better on third down. And you're playing an FCS team and they only converted five times out of 12 third down attempts. That ain't it. Like Youngstown State was seven for 15. Youngstown State was better on third down than Ohio State. Now, granted, Ohio State was two of three on fourth down. But like yeah, you can't you can't look at at this team and this construction and say this is the third most talented team in the country based off of recruiting rankings and continually continue to see these problems over and over again. And look, I have been despite what people think based on articles like I've written like I actually like I've been one of the people defending Ryan Day over the years and I'm starting to lose faith in this coaching staff to be able to develop talent and to put them in the positions to best maximize what they are capable of doing. Because right now it seems like they are wasting a lot of talent with, you know, Ryan Day said he didn't want to, didn't want the team to be continually beating their heads against the wall. But when watching this team continue to run into the boundary on, on, well, not just third down, but, but especially on third down or on short yardage, only to see their best players not have opportunities to turn it upfield because they can get completely blown out. Because everybody is is compacted on that side of the field is like beating your head against the wall. Um, I, I I just I, I can feel my patience with this approach from Ryan Day quickly waning, and my ability to look on the bright side of things quickly going away because I'm not sure that the coaching staff is giving their players the opportunity. To have a bright side because I feel like they are limiting what they are capable of doing. Yeah, I, th- I believe I'm stealing this from Bill Landis, so I don't want to, you know, act like this is my original thought. I did have this thought, but <clears throat> whatever Ryan Day we're getting on fourth down, we just need on third down. It's it's different play call. It's it's the strangest thing. And the best example was that third down. They did a running play on third and one, didn't get it, and then they threw a touchdown to Mekek Buko on that fourth down. That was a great play call. It's just, it's like they waited for fourth down for it. I don't, it's the strangest because like you said, they're, I believe now in the season, they're six of eight on fourth down or something like that. Now in the season of seven for 24 for third down, that's not good. No. That's, that's, that's about as honestly, as bad as it gets through two games of really, <clears throat> I mean, I, I don't inferior competition is what it is. You can't be seven for 24 on third down because that's what wins games. And they're just, I mean, like you said, Youngstown state was seven for 15. They were better. You know, it's not just like Ohio State was bad. Youngstown State was even better. So, I, I, yeah, I, I'm with you. I just think they need to, they need to get a little more. Whether it's creative, whether it's open up more, whether you know, maybe just put the hands and put the ball in the hands of Kyle McCord more and let him make decisions. I don't know what it is, but the third down efficiency is is just bad right now, and that's a that's a bad thing moving forward. Look, I'm I'm not going to beat this dead horse you know, every week, but look, I've been calling for Ryan day to give up play calling now for two years. And this is becoming, it's not becoming, it is an issue. And, and it's the same thing over and over. And every time I say it or write something about it, people get upset because what do I know? I'm not a, I literally, someone said, I don't know anything about coaching division one football. Cause I've never done it. Okay, fine. Fair. You caught me, but like I've watched every single snap of Ohio state football and I know that they continue to do the same things over and over, and they are continually not working. They they keep doing the same things, expecting a different result. And that's not technically 
the definition of insanity, but it's that, you know, that old saying, like they're just not making adjustments. They're not learning. Um, it's, it's Ryan Day is going inside his turtle shell, despite the fact that he has an offense that even with a suspect offensive line and even with the new starting quarterback has all the weapons in the world. And it's like, he doesn't trust them. It's, he doesn't trust himself. He doesn't trust Brian Hartline. It is a severe lack of trust all around. And it's going to bite this team in the butt. It's going to bite the team in the butt. It, it just is. And if Ohio state loses three, four games this year, which I think is very much on the table at this point, uh, I, I think that you have no one to look at other than the head coach. And not just because the buck stops here, but because I legitimately think it will be in large part his fault. Yeah. And I do think that there are, you know, I, like I've seen, you know, I've seen a lot of the, the three losses, the Notre Dame, Penn State, and Michigan. I absolutely think they can turn it around. I just think sure they need to do it. Now, <laughs> like it's it's not about it's not about they... can it's not about can it's I don't yeah. think that the offense or that the coaching staff has the desire to do the things to allow the team to turn it around. I think they have right. all the ability. It's it's they're they are looking at this game in such a different way than the rest of us do, and that's fine. They're they're the coaches. They make millions of dollars to do that. But what seems very obvious to us seems to be eluding them, and maybe there's a really good X's and O's football reason but they just keep making the same mistakes over and over and over again whether that's personnel or play calling or scheme or strategy or focus or intensity they just don't seem to want to make those changes for whatever reason and it's it's hurt them in years past i think it's cost them a national championship or two and i think that it's going to cost them the chance to even compete for a big 10 title this year if they don't do something in quick yeah, it's it's an interesting thing because it's like you said, it seems obvious to everyone. So it should seem obvious to them. It's like, you know, it's, it's the whole concept, if you know, I know kind of thing, but it's not changing. So it, whether they, whether it's it's stubbornness and they're just like, well, eventually it'll work. I don't know if that's like a numbers game kind of thing, but yeah, something needs to change. And whether it's personnel or whether it's the way they're using the offensive line, I'm I'm not going to sit here and act like I'm, I, I don't, whether, when it comes to football, offensive line never really under you know they i've never obviously never played it so you know they the formations of it and the in the personnel of it i'll leave it to people that you know understand a little bit more but i i can see when there's a problem and and i however they fix it they need to fix it because like you said notre dame is coming and um notre dame has some weaknesses but i'm not their defense i don't think is one of them i think their defense is very good so that's where it could be an issue they don't have great like receivers i mean god forbid you put ohio state's receivers on notre dame they might be a really 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 good team but they have a good defense and they're going if youngstown state is getting pressure on mccord and um you know putting henderson you know having third and one and third and two situations where you can't just bully ball your way to the first down you're going to have those issues against notre dame especially michigan and penn state very fast yeah Yeah. well let's go over to the other side of the ball an interesting thing is happening with this Ohio State defense. They only gave up seven points, 234 yards, 135 through the air, 99 rushing. But there seems to be a line of demarcation between what position groups are really improving under Jim Knowles' defense in the second year and which ones are stagnant at best. I think 
as far as I'm concerned, the secondary has been a huge upgrade through the first two games of the season. Again, admittedly, against teams that aren't exactly great passing offenses. So we will continue to see how they do against better offenses throughout the course of the season. But when you compare it to the fact that the defensive line seems to still be having the same struggles that it has had for years now, um, I, I think we we do have the opportunity and, and the responsibility to question what's going on with that defensive line. I think the linebackers were pretty solid last year, and I think they remain pretty solid. So I, I don't really have anything negative to say about them. Um, they've just been, you know, status quo, uh, you know, pretty good. I don't know that yeah. anyone's going to say Tommy and Steele are great, but I think they're really good. And I think because I think Tommy is good enough to actually just because he's going to be around the ball so much to like garner a lot of national attention. Um, but they're fine. The issue for me is the fact that, and this is true for the offensive line as well, but like it doesn't seem like the defensive line can win at the point of attack. And it's not just about getting sacks on the quarterback, although that would be nice. I think we have seen from both Youngstown State and Indiana that quarterbacks just are not holding the ball very long against Ohio State's defense. And I think that's also true just in college football in general. Like the the way that offenses are run has changed tremendously, even just since the Bosa and Chase Young era. But they're also not able to do anything on, on running downs. They're not able to blow up blocks. They're not able to get into the backfield like we have seen from Indiana and even Youngstown State. So I, I don't know what the issue is. The best, I tweeted this from the Land Grant account, the best we saw the defensive line play was with Caden Curry, Kenyatta Jackson, Mike Hall, and Tyleek Williams, who are essentially three guys that didn't start. I think Tyleek started with Ty Hamilton, um, although I think Mike Hall is the best of the interior defensive lineman, but, so I don't know why he isn't technically a starter, even though he comes in on the first drive. But like, those four guys looked the best and maybe it was because it was in the second half it was in the fourth quarter and and you know things had kind of led up on the line but like the defensive line seems to be a non-factor and that should not be the case with as much talent as Larry Johnson has accumulated so I don't know if it's the players are underachieving if they just don't have the ability we expected them to. I don't know if it's the design, if it's the scheme, if it's all a numbers game, like they're not sending enough guys to to be able to do anything against however many offensive linemen or t- tight ends or running backs they have blocking. And it might be a little bit of all of that, but like it's not good right now. And that's going to be a problem against better teams because as good as the secondary, I think, has been, everything starts up front when it comes to defense, Justin. Yeah, and I think you hit the nail on the head with the linebackers and stuff. They are, they're just solid at this point. They're going to give you what they're going to give you. They're not. I don't think there's like a Ryan Shazier of the group, but they're not going to underperform at this point. They're just, they're just a net. They're playing well, and they're going to play well probably every game. The defensive line in the in general, I just, it, I, yeah, I mean, you, you again, you said it right. They're just not winning at the point of attack, and I, I don't. And again. Sacks are an interesting, are a tricky stat to really truly count because of how fast guys are getting the balls at ball out. And next week is going to be a a little bit of a of an interesting thing to see, just because of what the kind of Western Kentucky offense they've run, which is a very strict air raid. They throw the ball pretty much every down uh, that they can. So, you know, if you just allow though Drew Alaire and Sam Hartman and JJ McCarthy and even like a Tua Tagovailoa to Aaliyah, to sit back there and, and not have any pressure, they're going to dice up the defense. And it's not going to be through any fault of the secondary. There's only so, I think, I know there's a number on it, but there's only so long a, a corner and sec- can actually guard a receiver. 
just because they're just running around. You know, at some point you're going to lose them. Um, so they have to, I mean, I know this year was a big year for Jack Sawyer and I just haven't seen much from him too much. Like no, at all, really the run defense has been okay, but even that's been a little shaky, you know, JT won them, they won them like two games last year, single-handedly. And I haven't seen much from him. It's, it's just been kind of a weird, again, it might, maybe it's just the, the scheme they're running and I, and we just don't see it. Maybe they're not, I, I don't know. It, it just feels like they're not getting any point of attack and, Maybe against Indiana, you could chalk it up to, okay, Big Ten opponent, but you can't chalk it up to anything against Youngstown State. It's just, you just have to be bigger and better. And it didn't look like that today. And I, again, they were getting the ball out really quick. And that's, you know, through, that's no fault of the defenses. But at some point, you have to get some type of, even when they were sitting back there a little bit, there wasn't much pressure at all. Gene wrote about this a couple of weeks ago. Like, there seems to be, a only thinly veiled feud going on between Larry Johnson and Jim Knowles uh, in terms of how they want to approach the use of the defensive line. We all know Jim would prefer to be running a, a, a with a jack position. Larry would prefer to run with a four down lineman. Jim would prefer to have the starters playing the majority of the snaps. Larry likes to rotate. And Jim is, I think, gone about as far as he can and like saying, like trying to smooth things over and make it sound like it's fine. But like if you've watched over the last two years, this is obviously a point of contention between the two. And I understand why you want to give Larry Johnson the benefit of the doubt. He is arguably one of the best defensive line coaches in Ohio State history and college football history. And he continues to bring in elite talent. But since Chase Young left, the defensive line has not done anything. I mean, of note, I mean, they've been fine in some years, um, but they are not good. They're not great. They are not achieving at the level that the talent suggests that they should. So I, I don't know if Jim has the ability to override Larry Johnson at this point. I feel like he, LJ is protected from on high by Ryan Day and he's going to let him do whatever he wants. But you can't have two disparate, conflicting philosophies on defense work, um, and, and like or work together and and be successful when they are completely at odds with each other. And I feel like what we're getting here is the back part of the defense is getting to where you want it to be. Still not there perfectly. Still, still ways to go. But you are seeing that progress. Where I think at best you are seeing things just staying the same on the defensive line, if not reverting or or declining, uh, depending on who you have on the field. Again, got some great talent and some young guys. What the rotation is, I think, has a huge impact. And if you are continually rotating guys in and out, it's really hard to get a feel for who the most productive players are. And, and I, I feel like this might be another thing where coaching decisions and it comes from the top if ryan day said what jim Knowles says goes like you would think the head coach of the defense should maybe that clears it up Um, or maybe we're reading in too much to press conference comments but um, i think this is going to be a problem long term and if it's not addressed and and fixed and figured out this could be another thing to really undermine one of the best defenses in recent ohio state memory at least during ryan day's tenure as head coach yeah, I, I think you just hit the nail on the head. I don't really have too much to to truly add. The one thing that <clears throat> excuse me, the one thing that always kind of not stands out, but 
makes me wonder sometimes is when you see guys at Ohio State that played well, but <clears throat> but never maybe hit like their full potential, get to the <laughs> NFL and they're like standouts. That's where it's like Jonathan Cooper happened with Cooper. It's happening with Zach Harrison. And it's kind of like, okay, what was holding him back at Ohio State? If he gets to the NFL and he's putting these offensive linemen on there, on, you know, he's just running through them. What What's the difference there? And you've seen that, like you said, you didn't see what the Bo says or Chase Young because they were just that dominant. But but the guys are just like a little tick below. You see it sometimes, and that's where it gets a little bit concerning for me. Um, yeah, I just the only issue I have with like you know if if you if you try to you know Jim Knowles is 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 obviously new in this position and he's still kind of figuring out where he wants to go with it. If you do move on from Larry Johnson, you risk obviously losing some recruits, but you know, you kind of got to figure what is like the biggest, trust me, me and Connor talk about all the time with the Ohio state basketball team. Uh, you know, what is like the net, the, the net positive there? Is it worth it? Is it not? So, I mean, I'm not making any sweeping declarations on September 9th, but like you said, if it comes no, to, no. you know, November 24th or whatever the Michigan game is. And again, they're just getting bullied in the trenches. It, you got to figure, you got to figure something out because you just can't yeah. have it. And you're not you're never gonna be you're you're gonna lose 10 straight games to Michigan if, if you can't figure out the trenches. That's where these games are won. You can yeah. beat you can beat other you can beat Maryland and you can beat Northwestern and well you can beat Northwestern with a JV yeah. Even Penn but, State, even Penn State, yeah, even you can Penn out State, talent. hundred yes. percent. You can out talent these guys, but Michigan and Georgia, you can't. And that's kind of where where you run into. Yeah, and I think I understand the comparison you make to the basketball team where people are saying fire Chris Holtman, despite the fact that he's got these two huge recruiting classes back to back. And if you fire him, they might leave. The difference with the football team is it's still Ohio State football and they're still going to be able to recruit at that level. Like you might lose a couple individual guys, but in the totality, you might take a little dip while the new defensive line coach proves himself. But at some point, you have to ask that question. And as you know, in our Slack channels for years, I've been defending Larry Johnson as bringing in great talent. And he does. Like, look at the numbers. He is still recruiting at a high level. But they aren't producing, at least at the college level. Like you said, they're still doing pretty well at the NFL. But they're not producing at the, at the college level. And, and that's a problem. So, I, you know, like I said, a pretty demoralizing win, a pretty demoralizing four-touchdown win, I would not have expected to come out of this game feeling great about anything because it's it's against Youngstown State. But with a performance like this, I'm actually coming out feeling worse than I did with a 20-point win over Indiana last week. So um, not great for the old psyche heading into the rest of the weekend uh, here, Justin. But where are you? Like, let, Let's say your expectations coming into this season were at a 10, whatever you think they were, how far has your expectations for this team changed after two games? If I'm being honest, they haven't. Uh, I still okay. think, I still think they, they, I still think the talent on the field. And as you said, I know that's not the issue. It's, it's, you know, are they being put in the best positions, but I still think that I guess I still have a little bit of trust that the coaches can make those changes necessarily necessary changes. And also, I'm also just, I don't think I'm as high on Notre Dame as a lot of people are. So to me, they have a little more time to make those changes. I think they can play a non-perfect game and still beat Notre Dame. Um, so that's maybe that's another way I, I look at it. I don't think they have too tough of a game until that Penn State game. I think it's around Halloween. So that's 21st, kind of, yeah. yeah, the 21st. So that's kind of where I'm looking at it. Um, I do think next week is going to be interesting because, the, oh, yeah. I mean, they'll beat Western Kentucky. 
But Austin Reed's a dude. He can sit, he can he can throw the ball. They got weapons. You know, the biggest, I think, takeaway or positive takeaway from the defense has been the fact that like Denzel Burke and Sonny Styles are just phenomenal right now. There's just no other way to put mm-hmm. it. They're gonna get tested against Western Kentucky. It's crazy to say that because they'll probably still win by 40, but well, probably not. They can't beat Arizona State by 40. But. Yeah, I mean, Western Kentucky was the second leading passing offense in the country last year in all of FBS. They threw for 352 yards per game. I think they actually led the country. Yeah, they led the country in a tie with Wake and USC with the most passing touchdowns. And what's crazy about it is, is they don't give up sacks either. So I, I heard this. You mentioned Bill Landis earlier. He, I heard it on one of the podcast shows, either Kings of Columbus or Podcast Daily, where he's talking about the fact that like you would think that just because how many times they pass the ball that they would be giving up a lot of sacks. Um, last year, they gave up the 14th fewest sacks in the country. They only gave up 14 sacks in all of 2022. So you have to imagine that they get the ball out pretty quickly. You're not going to be able to tee off and kind of go after them. So I I think that could be a very interesting game too. It'll, it'll I think it'll truly show us where the secondary is coming off of yep. games against sub-competition. But I'm also expecting the defensive line to underachieve and underperform as, again as well. Yeah, because they haven't given you any reason not to think that. So, right, right, you know, exactly. At, at this point, I think, um, you know, I, I know Austin Reed was in the transfer portal, so and he had, he had power five chances, so he's 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 probably the 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 fourth best quarterback they're going to face this year, fifth, you know, depending on how you feel about Tulia. So, um, I'm really I'm I'm really interested next week, and then obviously you get Notre Dame, and and then you get a bye. So if you can get through these next two games, and you know maybe you can kind of reset. They have an early bye this year, so yeah. I, I don't think my expectations have truly changed. Also, if I'm being very honest, nobody showed me anything outside of maybe Florida State in the country. Like yeah. I think, I mean, Georgia's played nobody so far. They you know, and they won. They did what they did. You know, we're recording this at four o'clock. Alabama plays Texas tonight. So if they look dominant, then that maybe that changes. Michigan, you know, they beat Eastern Carol- East Carolina. You know, again, they didn't show anything crazy. They looked good, but nothing crazy. I think the biggest team that's looked maybe the most I don't know. I don't know if dominance the word, but Penn State has looked really good. They have. I mean, again, they only played Delaware today, but they manhandled them. They beat them sixty-three to seven. And Drew Lair, I think, only threw one touchdown. I think they had five rushing touchdowns too. So, um, that's that's something that you know I think is in the back of Ohio State fans' head is like not only are we seeing Ohio State win, but not win convincingly. We are watching Penn State kind of dismantle some teams. So, I think that game can't get here soon enough. <laughs> Mm, I don't know. Maybe I, I I might be okay waiting a while on that one, given yeah, how we see Ohio yeah, State play. Yeah, 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 exactly. All right. Well, Justin, that I think should wrap up our conversation here about Ohio State's thirty-five to seven victory over Youngstown State. Not the type of recap that we wanted to do after this game. There is a lot for this team to work on. We will see if they make these changes. Uh, like you said, we're recording. It, it, they've probably already finished up the post-game press conferences, but I'll be interested to go back and, he, and see and hear what Ryan Day had to say about this game and if he is willing to make any proclamations about things that didn't go super well. Um, usually he doesn't do that post-game. He'll go a little bit more in-depth on Tuesday. Um, so we'll see if this is officially Kyle McCord's team, if he's going to continue to do this experiment with getting Devin Brown snaps in in the middle of the first half with the number ones or not. If he does, uh, uh, 
not to cut you off, I no. just before you kind of close it out, I, I do want to say Ryan Day apparently in the press conference said he's not ready to make any big decisions about the quarterback oh, for position. Fuck's sake. And I'm like, dude, you've made the decision. Just say it. And you're like, we were watching the game. Like if Kyle McCord is your starting quarterback, just say it. It's just I don't I don't know why he's doing that. I don't I don't just, get that at all. It's it's just maddening. Absolutely it maddening. Just you, it just makes you laugh. You're like, dude, we're we're watching the game. We see it. It's not a secret. Yeah, but, <laughs> but but like he needs to stop playing Brown. Like just yeah, stop. Exactly. Yeah. Like let him play in mop up duty. That's the only time the backup should play, short of an injury, of course. But like he's the backup. Stop trying to get him snaps with the number ones just because. Like if there was a legitimate reason, if he was Terrell Pryor level athletic and you wanted to have a package for him, okay, fine. He is not Terrell Pryor level athletic or Braxton Miller level athletic. He is a fine athlete. He's a good athlete. I don't think he's that much a better of an athlete than Kyle McCord. I don't think he's a better athlete than Lincoln Keenholz. So Right, that's another thing. Yeah, if you want to do that, bring in that guy. <laughs> yeah, the, the guy who does like windmill 360 dunks, you know? Yeah. So... <laughs> Anyway, let's let's get out of here before we start burning things down, Justin. But um, thank you all for listening. If you are finding us on LandGrantHoyland.com, please make sure you subscribe wherever you get your podcast. We are putting out one, two, three different podcast episodes every single day and giving you different insight and perspectives that you can find anywhere else in the Buckeye podcasting universe. You can follow us on Twitter, X, whatever, at LandGrantPods. You can follow the website at LandGrant33. You can follow me at Matt. Justin, you can follow at Justin underscore Golba. There is an underscore. I checked to make sure. Um, We appreciate you all listening and commiserating a little bit with us following this game. We will talk to you soon. And as always, go Bucks.